Welcome to Clear Eyes Full Arts, a podcast presentation of Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. This is an episode-by-episode look at the award-winning TV show Friday Night Lights created by Peter Berg. I'm Stacey Oristano. I played Mindy Collette Riggins. And I'm Derek Phillips, and I played Billy Riggins. If you want to support our show, subscribe for free to our YouTube channel where you can access exclusive content. We have a YouTube handle that makes it easy to find us. That's youtube.com slash at clearizefullhearts. Guys, this may be our last episode, but we will continue to check our email at clearizefullheartspod at gmail.com. So keep asking questions if you have any. Today, we're here. We did it. We're talking about Season 5, Episode 13, Always. It was written by Jason Kadams and directed by Michael Waxman, and our NBC synopsis reads, In the series finale, the Lions prepare for state as the Taylors confront conflict at home and a surprising development for Julie and Matt. And we have the one and only Kyle Chandler, a.k.a. Coach Eric Taylor, here with us today. But before we talk to Kyle, let's recap this episode. So we're here. Mm-hmm. My very, very last episode, I got a little weird sitting down to watch it because I wasn't ready. And I tell you, I have a couple, I might say two or three friends who have told me they have never watched the finale of Friday Night Lights because they didn't want it to end. Yeah. And I maybe get it. There's a couple of people I know that have done the same. And then there's that part of me that's like, dude, you got to watch the final episode because unlike some television shows, this is a really, really good finale. Oh God, it's so good. Like, I don't know that it could have been better. When I read it the first time, I was blown away by the ending. But let's not jump to the ending quite yet. Not yet. One thing I do want to note right off the top in the opening of this episode is the song that they chose to play. It's Christmas time in Texas. This song goes, it's Christmas time in Texas. It'll be about 103. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure that Michael Waxman chose this song because there was really no way to hide how hot it was on camera. Like, it gets chilly in Texas over Christmas time, but sometimes, depending on where you are, it snows in Texas. And when we shot this, it was mid-July, and we had days on this episode where it literally got to 112 degrees. Uh So there was no way to hide that. You're not going to put actors in a heavy overcoat to try and mask that when it's 112 degrees outside, because you'll have people literally keeling over on set. So instead, we'll sing a song about how hot it is. It's actually brilliant. Yeah. We've got all these establishing shots of Dylan, you know, Dylan prepping for a state championship game and East Dylan prepping for Christmas. And so it kind of sets the tone of what this episode's going to be. I love all these interviews with the players and every time they cut to Hastings and Bud Light and they have nothing to say. And (laughs) it made me happy because I love them, but also kind of like symbolic of what they also kind of left them to do on the show. And they were like, "Mm -hmm. sure, okay. It's very quiet there, yes. And it's also reminiscent of the very first episode where we have all these players being interviewed because they're talking about what the season's going to be. So it's kind of things coming full circle. There's a lot of that in this one, that throwback to Pilot. Just so many brilliant moments in this episode by Jason Kadams. And we'll try to talk about those as they pop up. Killing me. Uh Coach almost screamed what? At Matt Saracen. And I was shocked. I was not expecting that from him. But I also love that we get one last Taylor household family scene where literally everybody just talks over everybody else. And I yeah. sort of wonder what it was like to be like Amy, Kyle, and Connie and being like, oh, this is our last one. 
<laughs> There's a lot of tension in the Taylor household, to say the least. You know, Tammy's been offered a job at Brayermore, which is in Philadelphia. Coach doesn't want to go to Philadelphia. So there's all kinds of tension going on. And then, of course, Matt shows up at the most inopportune time. But it's good to know that after five years, Coach can still strike the fear of God into old Matt Saracen. I love seeing that. And I love seeing Matt Saracen back. Just like all times. Right? I know. He looks so much older. I mean, he is. It's five years. Yeah. Well, we all are. Also, okay, he proposes. Remember, guys, I have not watched the show. Maybe somewhere in the back of my brain I knew that, but I had forgotten because it didn't affect me. And um, the show was about me. <laughs> didn't, uh, didn't remember. I was surprised. Yeah, not only does he propose, he proposes at the Alamo Freeze. That's sweet. Nothing says love like a proposal at the Alamo Freeze. And then they're playing that Brandy, it's a Brandy Carlisle cover of that Brian Adams song. Oh, God. Great cover. Oh, so good. So many great music choices throughout this episode. We're going to talk about a lot of them as we go through it. But I feel like every moment in this episode is just like, yes. Yeah, this perfect. is going to be perfect. a love fest. It is. Except this moment. You full on said raw dogged. I did. And they kept it. In. Yeah, they did. Somehow that got by standards and practices. I think they didn't know at the time what it meant. Maybe they didn't. I'm not going to explain to our audience what it means. Maybe they can look it up on Google. But the way I'm looking at it, it's the last episode, Stacey. What are they going to do? Fire me? They're going to fire me? Come on. I laughed so hard and then I started talking about incest. It's like, what are we doing? Yeah, I don't remember how much of that was scripted. Probably none. I'm pretty sure Raw Dog wasn't. I can't fathom. Yeah. I just remember the giving of Stevie was written. I did like the way that the three of us kind of played off of each other in that scene, though. It's just fun. <laughs> that was super fun. When you say incest, and we're like, it's not incest, it's not incest. Yeah. It's not blood. <laughs> also, the one time it was great that the twins always cried when I held them, so I had a reason to want to give them to Tim because they did not like me. <laughs> oh, also, we got Landry back in this episode. This is one of the things that was so great about this final few episodes. It was literally like an FNL reunion every week. We had Adrian Palicki was back in town. Jesse Clemens was back in town. Taylor Kitsch was in town. Zach Guilford, Luann Stevens, Taylor Wheeler Nicholson. Not to mention Peter Berg also came back into town for this. And so did Scott Porter. I mean, so did David Nevins. Yeah. And like all of the producers and the casting yeah. directors and Sarah and Aubrey. writers and David Hudgens was in town. All yeah. of the writers. Everybody was there. Yeah. Guys, we had an epic party. We can talk about that later. Yeah, it was just a fantastic reunion. Some of these folks we hadn't seen or worked with in over a year. When's the last time we saw Landry? Landry was in the first episode of season five, and I think that's the last time we saw him. He goes away to college, I guess? Yeah. Remember, we left him at the landing strip. That was the last time we saw him. He and Julie went to the landing oh, strip together. Right. Or I think she left him at the landing strip. I can't remember. That's what happens at the landing strip. Oh God. Landry and Matt back in the garage talking just the two of them and of course just like tossing the football around a little bit again, so reminiscent of the pilot. And even Landry says a few years ago we were trying to figure out how to talk to Julie and now you want to marry her. And it was just such a full circle in my heart of those two. It was fantastic getting to see those two together because they had such great chemistry on and off screen. I will ask you to note here, gentle audience, that when our babies are with Taylor Kitsch, they do not cry. It's literally just me and Derek. Oh, everybody loves Taylor. We get it. Blech. Is it that or is it that they hated me? The world will never know. 
I always felt terrible when I had those children because Billy's always so loud and obnoxious and in every scene I'm in, I'm screaming and yelling and I got like the kid on my chest and a baby Bjorn, but I'm screaming at somebody. Those twins are in therapy because of you now. Probably. I tried to look and see if I had this script, but it would have been so long ago in my email that it was gone because there's so much of it that I don't remember exactly what was written as to what we did most of it was definitely written but I think this scene with me and Becky on the couch was literally just supposed to be factual of her saying my mom is back I'm gonna go live with her and for some reason in that moment that hit me that I was like that sucks and we've made this relationship and it became a little sad I don't know how much of that was written in the script maybe a little bit I think it was written that it was like well Billy can help you do that Mm -hmm. No, no, no. It's a great scene with you two, and there's so much tension boiling up underneath that. That was also one of the things that was really, really fun about Friday Night Lights is you could get a scene, and on the surface, there's one story being told. And as an actor, you're going, but there's something completely and totally different going on under here for me in this scene. And you were allowed to play with that. And you were allowed to bring that to the table, and they wouldn't go, well, you know, technically, uh, the scene is really about blah, blah, blah. No. Because your character and your person has something completely and totally different going on. They're just telling the truth. And in that moment, that was the truth. Yeah. And they let those things happen. They let those little moments happen. Mm -hmm. It was such a gift. I remember in the first season, you know, there's that scene with Tim and I where we have that big fight. And the way that it was written, they both fall into the St. Pauli girl thing. And Tim's supposed to be going, ah, you're pulling my hair. And it's supposed to be a little bit more comedic. You know what I mean? Like two brothers kind of ruffling each other up. Kind of thing. But the way it wound up coming across was these two guys are fighting for their lives to a certain degree. You know what I mean? Fighting to understand each other, to get along in this messed up world that they've kind of been left by their parents. And it played in a much more dramatic way than I think the writers intended to. And they kept it that way. And I think it works better for the show. And I thought it worked better for our characters. Had it been comedic, I don't know that Billy's around for five seasons. You know? Yeah. I don't know. I hear you. I wrote on our notes here, Coach Big Mad, and I don't remember what he was big mad at. (laughs) He had big feelings about something. Let me see here what I got. Oh, it's when Matt Saracen comes into his office and tells him that he's just proposed to Julie. That's it, that's it, that's it. Yeah. The what was just that he was at the door, and this is not only you're not asking for her hand in marriage, you already did. Yes. And she said yes. That's when he explodes. I did not expect that. My favorite part of that scene, though, I think, is that before he tells Coach that he actually asked for her hand in marriage, he's asking Coach if he can get permission. And then he tells Coach, oh, I technically don't need your permission. I already did. I already got that. But before that all happens and Saracen comes in the room and he's telling Coach that he wants to propose to Julie, Coach starts doing this thing. This is another one of those moments where as an actor, you were allowed this freedom to kind of do something that wasn't scripted. And Kyle starts looking over his shoulder to see if there's like a hidden camera in the room because surely this jackass is joking. Yeah, there's no way this is true. And Coach is thinking he's getting pranked. That's not in the script. That's Kyle Chandler adding something to this scene that's not scripted. He's not adding words, but he's adding a little beat, a moment. As an actor, you're always trying to find different levels to play a scene. You're always approaching it from a different Mm. perspective. And Kyle does this brilliant thing where in the beginning, he looks at Saracen like it's a joke. Like, you're kidding me. You're pulling my leg here. There's obviously a hidden camera somewhere around here. And then when he starts to realize it's not a joke, you see Coach shift from, like, kind of giggly to, I'm going to kill you. Big mad. 
that's what I love about good actors, what I love about the way good actors interpret scenes. Because most actors would have just been angry from the very get-go that this kid was in here trying to propose to his daughter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kyle plays it in a way where you kind of see him giggling like, surely this is a joke, to all of a sudden you see the clock ticking. You see the inner workings, and that's just a really brilliant move as an actor, I think. That's just something that Kyle does. I noticed a lot in this episode, especially where he never forgets the weight of the entire story. So, like, Eh. Matt coming in right then is terrible timing because he's dealing with so much else. And just coming in when he did, it's like, yes, I wouldn't have this conversation, but you don't like everything else that's going on. I don't know if my wife is going to leave me. Like, he brings all of it into every moment. And it's just so thoughtful. He's a very thoughtful actor. 100%. Meanwhile, I wanted to talk, Stace, if you ever noticed that anytime Julie screws up or does something stupid, Coach and Tammy will refer to her as your daughter. Uh-huh. It just makes me giggle because he goes, you know what your daughter did? And then Tammy, as she's leaving the room, <laughs> says your daughter as well. And it's like both of them have denied any sense of responsibility or ownership of Julie whenever she screws up. And Julie screws up a lot. Yeah, this season especially. Yes, Julie's done some things. She needs to sort some stuff out. I do have to agree with Tammy here, though. Why marriage? There's not a lot of this that's going to happen this episode, this logistics. Stacy, just be together. You're so young. Why marriage? You're so young and dumb. I can't help but agree with you here. I mean, as much as we love this couple together, and as much as I think, yeah, yeah, down the line, you know, if five years from now, I don't have a problem with them living together necessarily. I don't. Just be together. Yeah, be together, but learn to be together before you decide you gotta put a ring on it. Grow up together. I I guess that's Saracen, though. Like, he sort of just acts. I'm more worried about Julie's craziness than I am Saracen's craziness. Like, Saracen has decided this is the woman I want to be. There is no doubt in my mind that he's gonna get a wandering eye or that he's gonna go chasing after some other woman. He's set on her. Julie's the one that I'm a little concerned with. I don't know that Julie's ready for it. Nope. I think Matt's ready for it. Julie's not. I think Matt is 100% ready for it. And I have no problem with Matt marrying her. I agree. I have a problem with Julie settling down at this point in her life. You mean your daughter? Yeah, your daughter. (laughs) (laughs) I got to tell you, I would have listened to the two of you just list last names for a good couple of minutes. At first, I was like, okay, okay. Oh, oh, no, that's funny. Oh, okay, that's funny. This was kind of an ode to my old high school football coach and baseball coach, a guy named Rich Hoffman. I swear when I tell you that's how this guy used to call out kids' names, he'd go, Moreno, Phillips, Lummis. That's how he called out people's names, and it was an ode to him. But it's also just another moment on this show where you get to do something that's, you know, a little far out there. I'm sure the director, Waxman's probably sitting there going, what the hell is he doing? Was it even written that Russell would just repeat everything that you say? It's so in his character to do it. He's so funny. I was just calling out names, and it's supposed to just be this moment. I mean, it's a simple scene, really and truly. Wait, we just need to see Vince take one ticket. That's what we need. That's all we need. But you kind of get to animate it a little bit as an actor. Everybody got to have those moments. There's a beautiful moment at the end of the episode where you get to see Aaron Spivey, who plays one of the coaches. On the Panthers. And he's spinning a whistle on his finger. Yeah. Our camera operators caught it. It's something that if you played high school football, every coach who has a whistle is spinning that thing on his finger Mm 24-7. It's those little moments of just naturalness and realness that add all that little flavor into this giant gumbo of a pot that is Friday Night Lights. But I will say, Stace, you don't get to do this on other shows, and I miss that so much. I miss having that freedom, that freedom to play, because what happens on almost every show is the director will go, um, just... 
read the lines the way they're written. You don't have to add all that other stuff. Bunheads was the only other show that let me play that way. I would push the line and I'm like, seriously, you're not saying no to this? Okay, I'm going to keep going. That's the only other one. I got to do it on Parenthood, but that was also a Jason Kadem show. But yeah, it's rare that as an actor you get that freedom. Obviously, sometimes it can be a little over the top and you need a director that goes, okay, that might be a little too much. Let's pull that back. We're going to have Kyle Chandler on the show later and we'll talk about some of that freedom that we were allowed to have as actors that you just don't get on other projects. Mm -hmm. And it's what makes Friday Night Lights so special. I got to say also, Stace, this is a beautifully written scene here with Coach and Tammy and Matt and Julie. They're all sitting there at dinner and Coach says that marriage requires maturity and two people who are willing to listen to each other and the greatest of all things that marriage requires is compromise. And as he's saying all this, he's literally describing what up until this point he has been incapable of of giving to Tammy. Uh-huh. And then it is followed up with another beautifully acted scene by Connie and Kyle. Kyle slowly is turning this candy cane in his hand when they're having this discussion. You'd have some director on another show go, um, what are you doing with the candy cane? Stacy and I are literally having this conversation as we're doing this. Stacy's got a pen in her hand. Always. She's rubbing her neck as we're having this conversation. I get very uncomfortable if I don't have something to do with my hands. I have said before, I spend most of my life trying to figure out what to do with my arms, waiting in line or like in a picture or like we like where do where do your arms go? I like to have something to do. There's something that is very naturalistic about that and something that's very real about that. So human. Yeah, you wouldn't get that on another what show. What are you doing with the pen? Why do you have the pen in your hand? What's the pen about? Why are you chewing on the pen right now? It becomes this thing where it's like, no, this is just a sign of somebody being extremely natural in an environment. I don't think Kyle Chandler planned the day beforehand and called set and said, hey, I need to talk to props. I need a candy cane in this scene. There was a set dressing. Grounded on the way in. Hanging on a tree or hanging on something or maybe sitting on top of a shelf. And he walked by and he grabbed it and he just twiddled it in the scene. Yeah. And it's this very natural thing. It feels lived in. Since watching Friday Night Lights and then going to watch other, especially I would say procedural shows, I notice how still other actors are all the time. And it is inhuman. Because they always have to match continuity. Absolutely. And I get it. It is inhuman, though. That is not how humans behave. And I only started to notice it after this, like, Pete Jason Kadem thing that they created. It's, like, glaring to me. I'm guilty of it on other projects because you show up and at 9 o'clock in the morning, they shoot a wide shot. Whatever you're doing in that wide shot, you have to match later when they get to your medium shot and your close-up. So if I pick up a candy cane and start twiddling it in the morning... I have to be turning that candy cane the exact same way three hours later when we shoot my medium. And then three hours later after that when they shoot my close-up. And then I'm going to have a continuity person coming over and go, "Um, when you were saying Tuesday you wanted to go to the store, the candy cane was actually like this. And now I've got to try and figure out how to match that. It becomes impossible. And now the whole entire scene becomes me as an actor, Derek Phillips, trying to figure out where my candy cane was. It's impossible to do, which is why Friday Night Lights was so different than other shows. Because we had three cameras going at once. And because those three cameras were going, you didn't have to worry about continuity. And so actors Uh -uh. could just act. I'm done talking about it. Speaking of three (laughs) cameras and actors just acting, we actually had a listener question come in from Jimmy Baker about this scene. Mm -hmm. This is my very favorite, my most treasured scene on Friday Night Lights. And I don't say a word. You don't? Mm -mm, I don't say anything ever. Because this scene was not about me. This scene was written that we take her there, you take her suitcases out, and Mm -hmm. then she sees her mom. It, like, wasn't about us, but that absolutely, in that moment, when we did it the first time, 
wasn't how it would have played out. Sure. Like Becky and I have a goodbye and she says sweet stuff or whatever, but I lost it then and the camera stayed with us. You got the button in that scene. The button, by the way, guys, is the last person in the scene, basically. As a form of storytelling, traditionally, the last person that is shot in the scene, they're the one whose story we're telling yeah. because they're getting the final reaction. So the scene essentially becomes about Mindy's feelings about Becky going back to her mom than it is about Becky's feelings about being back with her mom. That's not what was written. Not saying that I'm the best actor, just in that moment, I couldn't help it. No, but that's a wonderful testament to you as an actress, but also just in general, that that storyline became such an important storyline on this show, your relationship with Becky. I even like that Tim later, Becky's like, she's not going to miss me, and Tim's like, she's going to miss you more than you know. And I was like, oh, even he notices it. Okay, so Alicia yeah. Witt, who plays... Becky's mom. We got to know each other a little bit on set. I'm a huge fan of her and her music. And she emailed me like two days after the finale came out. And she goes, not that I owe you an apology. I just want to explain to you when we were shooting that scene, I didn't understand why you were sobbing. Mm. It didn't make sense to me. Now I get it because she like wasn't there and didn't know the story. Yeah. And so it was just some weirdo crying by a truck. And she's like, that was beautiful. And I feel so bad that in the moment I didn't but I love that she didn't because Becky's mom wouldn't care about me. She wouldn't notice at all. Like, no. it's perfect. Yeah, it's a great scene and a testament to you as an actress because, and this is on most television shows, that when the writer sees somebody who's doing something. Stacey, how many episodes were you signed on for when you signed on to do Friday Night Lights? One. One episode. You're going to do one episode playing Tyra's sister. As Tyra's sister, you got to imagine that you'll probably pop up occasionally. There's a lot of characters on this show and a lot of characters on a lot of shows that play somebody's sister or somebody's brother and they pop up on one episode and you never see them again. How many episodes did you wind up doing on Friday Night Lights? A lot. <laughs> How many were there? There were 76 episodes, I think, total. 50-something. Yeah, you did a lot. I think 52. Yeah. It's insane to me. That's because of the fact that the writers from day one said there's something about this girl, there's a storyline there. And then by the time the fifth season rolls around, You've got a whole entire storyline with Becky. Well, I think there was a moment they were like, oh, she can act, too. She's yeah. not just the funny stripper. That's fun. You know, I think that I had that opportunity on this show as well. You know, it's they brought you on. They give you a couple lines here and there. They go, this guy can actually walk and chew gum. Mm -hmm. And then they start writing for you. They start to get your voice. And they start to understand who you are a little bit as an actor and as a person. And start writing stuff for you. Jason Kadams and the Hudgens and Carrie Aarons yeah. and Roland writing these words for us. I've never been luckier. Jesus, it's so stupid. Doesn't get much better. <laughs> Back to the show. Jess is moving to Dallas. That just happened very fast. Yes. It kills me. She's going to be a senior and she's going to lose everything. Now, we discussed on this show that Steve Harris, who played Jess's dad, I don't know the logistics of it. I don't know exactly what happened. I don't know if he got another show. I don't know if there was a contract dispute. I know that they had planned more with Steve Harris, and then it just didn't happen. So this is kind of the fallout in some respects and what happens on a lot of shows. You know, there are shows that I've been cast on, and then I wound up getting another job, and suddenly... My character is just no longer on that show. And that stuff happens all the time, guys. Eh? So this isn't a fault of the writers. It's more just this is kind of how things go. So they had to create this whole entire storyline that Steve Harris' character had moved off to Dallas and he was creating a franchise of raised barbecues. 
He'd opened up a couple of different raised barbecues in Dallas and it was starting to take off. And so he wants his family there, which is normal and natural for a father to want his kids there. But it's also just another testament to another crappy parent in Dillon, Texas, forcing his kid to leave school their senior year of high school. Like, the come on, dads man. dads of Dillon. Yes, the fathers of Dillon. Although, if I got to say, the crappiest parent, I think, right now is probably Vince's dad. Vince's dad is winning the crappy father of the year award right now. He bad, bad. Yeah, not going to go to his son's state championship game, blah, blah, blah. He'd fallen back in with a bad crowd. Okay, now Tim and Tyra are together. It's like we got Matt and Julie. Uh-huh. We got now in Tim and Tyra, and it seems like everybody's ending up together, and it feels a little too happy and tied up in a bow for me to be Friday Night Lights. So, like, right now in my watching, I'm waiting for the ball to drop. You stop it with your negativity, Stacey. It's not even negativity. It's FNL. FNL does that. They suck you in they and do. you get so excited, and then they rip that rug out from underneath yeah, you. Yeah, and then they punch you right in the gut. I'm waiting for it. It's like Mortal Kombat. They rip your heart right out of your chest. I'm waiting for it. Okay. Have you ever had to play Just Waking Up? Yes. I think it's harder than playing drunk. I did it on this show. I got to play Waking Up and Drunk in episode seven of season one. Waking Up Drunk is easier. I was passed out on the hood of a car, on the windshield of a car, and I had drool coming off my mouth. The drool coming out. It's my dad's favorite shot of you. Yes. (laughs) It is actually really difficult to do it and not overplay it, especially if it's the middle of the day and you've had like three coffees. You're saying I overplayed it with the drool? No, because you got to be hungover drunk as well. And if you're not hungover drunk and you're just waking up, it is actually very difficult. Connie nailed it in this scene. She did do a great job with this. Like I was like, did you take a tiny any nap there and wake up <laughs> it was so good this is where it happened for me though i thought it would come a little bit later the tears started are you kidding me that grandma takes julie's hand and kisses that wedding ring oh, i saw it yeah well you guys know I've, I've said it ad nauseum on this show how much i love me some luann stevens and this is just a fantastic oh. scene and i'm so happy as i said before to have all these characters back but to have Grandma back, the waterworks were starting there. They kind of come and go for the rest of this episode. Oh, that was it for me. Okay. It's just all these characters that you love so much. And this is just a beautiful moment with the ring. It's so, so sweet. You guys, Kyle Chandler, my God. So when Jess says, it's been the greatest pleasure of my life. Yeah, something along those lines. Working for the Lions has been the greatest pleasure of my life. Yeah. And like something happens in Kyle's eyes when she says that and he says, I think it's been mine too. Mm-hmm. And I knew in that moment that he had made the decision. Mm-hmm. Without the script saying it, without coach saying it, Kyle did so much in just that line that I knew where his brain was going. Yeah. He's that good. Why do you think the decision comes there, though? Because he said it in the past tense. I yeah, think it's yeah, yeah, been yeah. mine, too. As in, now I'm going to do something completely different. Yeah. This was the best thing I have done. And now I'm going to go do something different. It just hit me in a way that I was like, because I don't think it gets better than what he did with Vince. Yeah. What he did with that whole entire team. I mean, he turned around a team that had nothing. And regardless of if they win state at this point or not. Doesn't matter. It's already a victory. He saved Vince's life. I would say he saved a bunch of those boys. He turned that team into a team that goes to state. I don't think it gets better for him than this. Yeah, interesting. But yeah, I could see it there. I just wanted to throw a little love out here, too, for the song choice that's playing under this whole entire scene with him and Jess, but also the scene with him and Grandma. The song is called Don't Tremble by the band, the low anthem, and it just really sets the tone in both these scenes. I know I said earlier I was going to talk about 
music in this episode, but this is another one of those wonderful, it's playing over two or three different scenes and it just kind of sets this tone beautifully. Great choice, once again, by the guys doing sound on this show. The last time, I promise, Logistic Stacy, Tim and Tyra. It's beautiful. Is of it? course, like in our sweet little FNL dramatic hearts, we love it. If I ask you deep, deep down, not as a lover of Friday Night Lights, but as a lover of truth, do you buy it? Do I buy the two of them together? Or last, like, yes, they come together and like, like you said, but like, do you buy it forever? I don't know that I buy it forever, but I do buy this much. I buy the two of them together. I actually do. I definitely don't think they were right for each other at the start of the series, but I do think there's something between them now that could work in the end. I love when she says, I've been in love with you since I was five years old. It's yeah. so sweet. Yeah. Look, Tim's going to have to get some stuff in order in his life. He's going to have to get his drinking under control. But I think that these two have potential. I think that's the thing that the writers and what Jason Cadence was setting up is that there's potential for these guys to potentially be an item. I don't think that they're saying that they are an item and that this is how their story ends. It's potential. I don't think it ends with them together from this moment on forever. I think Tyra wants too big of a life, a bigger life than Tim would ever want. That's the thing that I find fascinating about it, though, is that I think that Tyra wanting that big life does not get in the way of Tim wanting the simple life. I think that it actually works together. I think those traditional male-female roles will be reversed to a certain degree. And interestingly enough, that those male-female roles will be reversed with a guy who's so masculine in a guy like Tim Riggins. But Tim is a simple dude. Tim wants to have a nice plot of land, have a decent property. It's just building a house is so permanent, and I don't see Tyra and Dylan. I don't know. The interesting thing is I do see Tyra basically taking over a role like Tammy Taylor. Yeah, she says she wants like Mrs. T, but bigger. Yeah. So like maybe head of the school board or something. I see it. And I see Tim is being the type of guy who would just be supportive of that person. You know what I mean? My sappy heart loves it and wants it. But if I'm being completely honest and Stacy, I don't buy it. I remember when they were shooting this and I remember when it was going down, I was like, I wonder if we were to go back 20 some odd years and see the relationship between Coach and Tammy in its infancy. Are there a lot of similarities between who Coach is now and who Tim is now? And are there similarities between who Tammy is and who Tyra is becoming? Yeah, I would say that. Tammy had a little rebel phase. Yeah, I think that Tammy had a little bit of a wild child phase. Yeah. I don't know that Coach ever got in trouble like Tim got in trouble, but I think that there's something similar about those guys in terms of where their heart is. And the quiet stillness of their yeah. brooding. Yeah. <laughs> They've talked numerous times about there being like a Friday Night Lights reunion show or something like that. That's not going to happen. But I would definitely watch a Friday Night Lights that takes place in like 19... 83 or 84 and it's Kyle and Connie you know coach and Tammy in high school together I've wanted it forever and I wanted Jimmy Walt to play the young mm. coach I wanted him now forever. he's probably the same age Kyle was when the show started exactly yeah. so you can't do it now but he was such a baby Kyle when we yeah. first met him okay going in to the Cotton Bowl was surprising for me. It maybe is a little bit of what I'm going to call my football privilege because I spent my life growing up inside Texas Stadium. It felt very small. Hmm. It's really interesting. Believe it or not, the Cotton Bowl is one of the largest stadiums in the country, but I kind of agree with Stacy on this. It's deceptively large because there's two tiers of seats and it's not like these mega stadiums that we're used yeah. to seeing nowadays where there's all these fancy things like giant jumbotrons and massive box seats. But that's one of the things that's been nuts about doing this show is we're going into these stadiums and there's nobody in there. So it's one of the coolest things that I got 
to do on this show. We got to go to Cowboy Stadium in Irving, the old Cowboy Stadium. The UT Stadium, which was huge. Yeah, Daryl K. Royal. Cotton Bowl. And then to end it all in the Cotton Bowl. Texas-wise, it's pretty cool. Yeah, these famous stadiums that have housed huge games throughout the years. And as a guy who grew up being a diehard football fan, I mean, to get to be field level on those stadiums when they're empty mm -hmm. and throw football around... I grew up a Miami Hurricanes fan. There's a famous moment where a guy named Randall Thrill Hill scored a touchdown against Texas in the Cotton Bowl in like 1987 or 88. And he ran up the tunnel of the Cotton Bowl and pulled out like six shooters, like finger guns, and started going pew, 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 pew. And the announcers were like, well, I don't know where Randall Thrill Hill went. Somebody needs to go grab him and tell him to come back into the stadium. There's this great shot of him doing the finger guns, and I got to do that and send that video to my dad. You finger gunned? I finger gunned in the tunnel in the Cotton Bowl. Amazing. I mean, for me, as a guy growing up, this is the coolest stuff, guys. I say this all the time as an actor, that if I ever get to this moment in my life where I'm on a set, you know, where you're at a place like the Cotton Bowl, or you're at Daryl K. Royal Stadium, or, you know, you're walking on a set where there's these massive green screens, or even just on a TV show, on a network TV show, and getting to go backstage and see all the props and all the set pieces. If that ever becomes boring to me, then I need to get out of this business. It's time to quit, Still, yeah. Still, there is a level of magic to what we do and what we get the opportunity to do that I am to this day thrilled by every time I'm on the Warner Brothers lot. I walk by yeah. the Friends Fountain and take a picture. Yeah. I still love it. And, you know, you're not really supposed to do this, but I always meander through the Warner Brothers lot and go to the back lot. Basically, they've got a back lot that's in New York City. I love the New York City all lot. All the exteriors for the Friends and all these TV yeah. shows that you've grown up watching are all shot on these back lots in Studio City or in Burbank. Uh -huh. And guys, it's amazing. If you ever get a chance to go do the Universal Studios tour, do it when you're in L.A. It's Yeah, the fun. little Charlie tour. You get to see all these little cool locations, you know, the whole entire Back to the Future back lot. But all that stuff, to me, it's part of this love of this business. You know, all these uh -huh. different elements coming together. There's just magic to God, it. You There's look like such it. a little boy right now. I am. Meanwhile, okay, <laughs> on to different stuff. This scene with Coach and Tammy visiting Santa Claus is the one that really got me welling up for the first time. It just sums up what is so special about this couple's relationship. I have a tough time personally imagining the Taylors in Philadelphia, but this is the definition of love right here, that he's willing to compromise, that he's willing to sacrifice his own desires and his own goals and his own wishes as a coach. And it's the reason why this relationship is hailed as the greatest marriage in TV history. I'm also really excited to have Kyle on the show a little later to talk about all this. And we're going to talk about this. For sure. And I agree with what people are saying. It's my favorite marriage I've ever seen on TV. But there's also a level of realism to it because it's not all marital bliss. Yeah, it's not perfect. Yeah, there's arguments and there's tension and there's fights and there's all the ups and downs that goes with any relationship but what's great about these two is they stick with each other they compromise for each other and they fight for each other very sweet okay i found myself just as an actor and because i was around for so much of the shooting of the finale i might be wrong but i feel like i can tell what scenes people were picture wrapped in because mm. picture wrap would be the last scene you shoot for the entire series like you can get season wrapped or you can get episode wrapped but they like picture wrap is you're done so it would be the last scene you shoot and they say like guys that's picture wrap for Derek Phillips and then everybody claps and it's a thing and I could just sort of tell because there were so many tears in this episode and they were absolutely right for the scenes that were happening but I could also tell like I think that's Journey's picture wrap. I think that's Kyle's picture wrap because there was also something in the eyes that was like oh god this is over if I'm not mistaken 
the picture wrap for Connie and Kyle was outside the restaurant when they had the argument with Matt and Julie. I think you're right. I'm almost positive that was their last day together on set actually shooting. Okay. I was there when we shot it. It was the same thing where our first AD, Tony, would just come by and he'd be like, do you want to know the play that's happening? Or And I'm like, no, just tell me, am I happy or am I sad? Mm-hmm. That's what I do in my reaction shots. <laughs> and so this one, Tony was explaining it to everybody in the stands that all we had to do was like it was going to be a pass and we just really slowly watch the ball as slowly as we can and it keeps going, it keeps going, it keeps going. And I was like, oh, that sounds cool. I bet it's going to look really cool on camera. Oh my God. Yeah. It's gorgeous, and I want to shake Jason Kadams, and I want to shake our cameraman. I want to shake our editors. It's perfect. It's really a beautiful moment and such a smart way to end this show. So smart. I'm telling you, Stace, the second that the song The Devil Knows You're Dead by Delta Spirit starts playing, <laughs> you start hearing that bam, 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 bam. The second time you've sang on this episode. Actually, I need to stop. <laughs> I just start ball my eyes out. This was such a brilliant way to end this game because we're kind of left as an audience going, whoa, 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 whoa. Did they win? Did they win? Did they win? Doesn't matter. And then we get this quick montage wrap-up of where everyone has ended up. Coaches in Philly, he's coaching. Tammy's got her dream job. Vince, Tinker, Buddy, and the rest of the East Dillon coaches are on this super team. And we can tell, if you're paying attention, some of the players are wearing rings. Mm-hmm. And then Luke gives his to Becky. Yes. But it was like a palm, too, where you almost couldn't tell what it was. Kind of a quick, you see some people tearing down the scoreboard, Yeah, the East Dillon Lions, and if you pause it, there's a little banner that says East Dillon Lions 2010 State Champions. Oh, I didn't see that. But it's such a quick cut. I love it. So we get this beautiful little montage where we get to see kind of where everyone's ended up. Uh-huh. As I said, Coach is in Philly with Tammy. Vince, Tinker, Buddy, and the rest of the East Dillon coaches are on the super team. We know that Luke has gone, he's in the army now, uh-huh. and he's going off to the army. Becky's watching him go. He's shipping off. Matt and Julia are in Chicago. They're living with each other at the end of the episode. In his beautiful loft. Yeah, right. And Jess is in Dallas as an assistant coach, so Coach did wind up getting her that job. Getting her the job, and yeah. you're coaching for the Panthers there. Yes. Now, I think some people have misconstrued that as thinking that Billy is the head coach of the Panthers. I never in a million years I, thought I, that. I don't think he's the head coach. I do know, and this is something that I wish was able to happen, they had reached out to Billy Bob Thornton <laughs> to actually wind up being the head coach of the Panthers. And he was down to do it. He was going to come down and do it, and it just became a scheduling conflict, and they couldn't do it. It would have taken me away from how perfect this finale was. I think so, too, in some respects. My favorite thing is seeing Buddy Garrity in the golf cart at the very end. The golf cart. I love it. It's just like oh, all is God. right with the world. Everything is back to the way it should be in some respects. This is also what I love about a good finale, where it's like, this is the part of the story that you get to see. Yeah. Guess what? This story goes on without you. Yes. The Sopranos did the same thing to me. Yeah. We're going to keep doing what we do, but you don't get to see any more of it. Yeah. So this is where your journey ends. And I love that. That's what I was saying, I think, about Tim and Tyra, is that I don't know that they end up together. I think that what we're left to believe as an audience is that there's potential that maybe they would get together. It's not guaranteeing that they get together. You are more romantic than I am. I am. Ro- I'm extremely romantic, Stacy. Yes. And I am not. I'm not like a hopeless romantic at all. <laughs> and you are. But we do also get to see at the very end, and they didn't have Tyra in this scene. They had Billy and Tim, and it's Billy and Tim building this house on the property. Billy says to Tim, Texas forever, and Tim cheers him. And that was actually the very last scene that was shot on Friday Night Lights. 
And it was, for me personally, the most magical thing that I have ever been a part of on any film or television set. It was when people ask me, you know, what was your favorite memory from Friday Night Lights? It was that moment. And it was not supposed to be a sad moment for Billy and Tim. But guys, in between takes, I was just bawling my eyes out. Because you have to understand, from my perspective, Tim and I are sitting there on this little patch of land, on this house that we're in the course of building, and we're sitting there on a cooler or whatever it is, and I you know, say to him, Texas forever, as we're looking out at the sunset, that's what we see as an audience. But what I'm seeing is mm. every single person that ever worked on this show, there's a little valley. Every everybody's there. person. I'm sitting there and there's Kyle, there's Connie, there's Peter Berg, there's David Nevins, there's Dana Wheeler-Nicholson and Adrian Palicki and Stacey Oristano and Scott Porter and Jesse Clemens and Amy Teagarden. Everybody. Matt Loria, Becky Sproles, everybody's there. And it was so hard to shoot that scene and not think about... Sorry. <clears throat> this is what I'm talking about. Like <laughs> the picture wrap is the hardest. There's also, I'm going to give you a moment, a little moment where Tim looks at you and he does a tiny smile and it's almost like he is forgiven you. Yeah. And it's like so quick, but needed for the story to be good. He's good with what happened. It was just such a magical moment for all of us. And I'm so truly thankful to have had the opportunity to be a part of that, to be a part of this show. And that moment is something that will live forever. You are not the only one. Me, Annie, and Dana were holding each other sobbing. And Pete Berg came over to me and he put his giant hands on my face. And with his thumb, he wiped the tears away from my face and he grabbed me and he said take this with you yeah. i will never ever forget it it was a beautiful moment it was a beautiful show and to have that moment as i said it's something i'll get to carry with me forever i still have a picture of that final scene signed by taylor kitsch that he sent me after we had wrapped towards the last couple of seasons he got really into photography and he was always bringing his leica camera around and so he had todd mcmullen offset take some pictures from that leica and i had this beautiful gorgeous picture of the two of us cheersing each other in that final scene signed by taylor to me you know i can't even remember what it says but it's something along the lines of you know great getting to work with you clear eyes full hearts <laughs> yeah just a beautiful moment so happy i got to have that moment so happy i got to share that moment with I everybody. love that that was the last one. Yeah. The sun was setting. And you said Texas forever. It couldn't have ended more perfectly yeah. as that being the last shot. It now was that heaven. was the final shot of the show, but the actual final scene of the show obviously takes yes. place with Coach in Philadelphia. We see him wrapping up his practice in Philadelphia, and he and Connie slowly start walking off the field as this you know crane shot pulls up, and we see the lights go boom. And the lights go out. It pulls through the field goal. You see the lights of the stadium. And then the, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about the lights go out. I literally, I wrote down here, it's perfection. Yeah. It is the absolute perfect ending. I can't think of any other way it ends but that. It really was. I mean, the ball going through the air, all the resolutions yeah. that we get to see. It's not even resolution. I think we just get to see where the characters' journeys continue to, as Stacy said. You know, there is no mm -hmm. full-on resolution. But I think that we're left with hope. For every character. Yeah, yeah. Even if Tim and Tyra don't work out, there's still hope that these guys got their lives figured out. And that's what's more important. I don't need them to be together. I need to know that they're going to be okay. Oh, I like that. You know, and I think that we're left with this idea that everybody's going to be okay, that everything's going to work out for these characters that we love. 
All right, guys, I think we are done on the recap portion of this, Stace. What do you think? Yeah, but much more exciting after this. Yes, much more exciting stuff coming your way, guys. (laughs) We got Kyle Chandler. We actually have Todd McMullen, who's also going to join us today. Todd McMullen, who was a DP on Friday Night Lights, is going to be joining Kyle Chandler. So, guys, stick around. We're thrilled to have both Kyle Chandler and director of photography and director Todd McMullen on the show today. Listeners of the podcast will remember Todd from season three, episode eight, when he and his lovely wife, Heather Page, were on the show. Todd has worked on numerous TV shows and films, including Casino, Can't Hardly Wait, The Green Mile, Miss Congeniality, The Newsroom, The Leftovers, Waco, Dirty John, and of course, the role no one could forget as football scout Miami Pete in season two, episode seven of Friday Night Lights. We also have Kyle Chandler, who is a career spanning over four decades in this industry. He's known for Pure Country, Homefront, Early Edition, King Kong, Grey's Anatomy, for which he was nominated for an Emmy, The Kingdom, Super 8, Argo, Zero Dark Thirty, The Spectacular Now, The Wolf of Wall Street, Carol, Manchester by the Sea, Bloodline, for which he was also nominated for an Emmy, Game Night, First Man, Catch-22, Super Pumped, and of course for playing everybody's favorite coach, Eric Taylor, for which he won an Emmy Award for Outstanding Performance by a Male in a Drama Series. <laughs> Kyle and Todd, thank you guys for joining us today. You guys, I do have to tell you right now on our screen, our director of photography is directing Kyle as to where to put the camera. Also, it looks like it's maybe <laughs> negative five degrees where they are. So this is amazing. Yeah, Are you guys outside of Austin right now? Is that what's going on? Yeah, we're out at my barn. It's How a- cold is it right now? Yes, sir. So it's it's between 19 and 20 degrees. <laughs> I wish our listeners could see these guys right now. They are like completely and totally bundled up, face masks on. There's Do literally you know you hot s- air coming out of the their mouths. Yes. See the smoke of the breath. Oh my gosh, this is a full-on camera experience happening. First and foremost, Kyle and Todd, how and when did you decide that you wanted to be a part of this crazy business? I decided to be part of this business. What is it? College. Yeah. I was with a girlfriend down in uh, Athens, Georgia, by Little Five Points near the Waffle House. It was three o'clock or so in the morning. And we went for a walk and we ran into four people who we asked to bum a smoke. And we started talking to these folks and they were absolutely insane. They were a lot of fun. We talked for a long time. And the one fella called back and says, hey, you're interested in the... uh, theater department there's a play coming up you should audition for it i said oh yeah and i got the information and it was for a comedy of errors and i actually went and i auditioned for it and uh, i got one of the brothers in the show and uh and that's how it all started it's a great world you know theater and college is like yeah i had no clue you know i immediately had 60 new friends i didn't have before that took me in and i took them in and it just became that that's awesome man that's awesome it's shakespeare at that I do wonder that becoming the world that you wanted to go into, both of you, Todd, I don't know if I've ever asked you this either. Are there people in the industry that you guys did look up to or do look up to as people you emulate or like people you want to work with right now? Well, that's a good question because there's so many good people now out there doing great things. So I think it's interesting with what's in pertaining to Friday Night Lights, what we started, which I thought was so groundbreaking and just grabbing cameras and, you know, somebody says action, you guys just go do your thing and we follow it. I thought that was groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, things that are happening now are, you know, kind of elevated on that. So yeah, there's a lot of good people I'd like to work with, but I think at the end of the line, it's still the same thing. You're telling the story, 
and however you need to tell that story the best you can visually on my end is the way to do it. Yeah. How familiar were the two of you with Friday Night Lights, either the book or the movie, when you were approached for this gig? I myself, I don't think I had seen the movie or read the book. I got this from uh, Shonda Rhimes when I was doing Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, when I was doing Grey's Anatomy, Shonda Rhimes called me into her office. She goes, listen, they're auditioning for something across the way. This guy, Pete Berg, he's got this thing. I think he might be right for So she sent me over there. I remembered Pete because I saw him when I was doing Homefront years prior to that. And he walked in. And I recognized him from the commercial. Didn't he do a movie called Shocker? Yeah, something like I remember that. Him. I saw him in the in the light of the studio, you know, those beautiful shots of those beams of light coming. I thought, that's a guy from Shocker. <laughs> yeah, so I went over there and I, I auditioned. I, I met with him. We talked and all that stuff. And I walked away thinking, no, I'm, I'm not old enough for that because Billy Bob played the original coach. And I've always, yeah. I just, I didn't see it. But, you know, one thing led to another. And that's, that's how it all happened. And uh, again, I'll just say this right now so I don't have to go on and just adore the guy, but uh, none of this would have happened without Pete Berg, and I, I really do love that guy. He created, well, you know, you guys know, he, mm -hmm. he set the whole thing up, the tone up, and, and you know, as far as working with people, you said, you know, you know, there are people you want to work with. You know, the favorite people you're working with are the people you're working with, and yeah, there's yeah. lots of people out there I'd love to work with. I can't really name them, but once you get on the sets with people, and you have a that safety of a friendship, and the collaboration that comes about, and Everything that I think you guys agree, and probably people on this show have talked about it before, it was all there. It was lightning in a bottle. Yeah. And uh, everyone uh, we've brought onto this show says that, like either that it was one of their favorite projects or a project where like everybody loved each other. That doesn't happen all the time. It was no, no, I think it's a testament to, I mean, just the fact that, you know, Stacy and I have remained friends. Taylor Kitch and I are very, very close still. There's still a lot of people that I'm really, really close with on this show. You're sitting here right now. How far does Todd McMullen live away from you? Todd, how, how close are you guys? Not far enough. <laughs> <laughs> I was about, I don't know, half a road soda away. I don't know. Yeah. No, I'm just around the corner. I delivered a cigar to him with my drone. He's that close. I love it. I love it. <laughs> hey, but answer your question, I think one thing that was interesting about the show, I think we were also, all of us were either so naive or so yeah. not into that maybe deep in the business that that helped us all get along. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. As like nobody had egos on this show and everybody was willing to explore and go with. Well, I mean, hey, done. Kyle, you know, not to sing your praises too much here, but I do want to say that, you know, it, it starts from the top down. And number one on the call sheet, you were always the guy from day one asking me as a guy who was 13 or 14 on the call sheet, like, hey, man, what do you need from me in the scene? What do you think this relationship was? You always made everyone who was on that show feel like they were a major part of that show. And that's something going forward that I've tried to do when I've been higher up on the call sheet is, you know, make sure that those people that are a little bit lower down the rung, they're feeling like they're a part of this thing. Number one, it's just cool to be that way to people. But number two, I think it also just helps that person that's coming into this environment where they may not know people or they may be kind of new or green to feel like they're wanted there. And I think you get a better performance from that person when that happens. It actually leads me to my next question that I had for both of you guys. As far as your experience being on this show, how would you say that FNL is different than other shows that you've worked on? And have you been able to carry over those differences to other shows that you're currently working on or shows that you've worked on since Friday Night Lights? That's a good question for you. Well, <laughs> I mean, here's the great thing about the way Friday Night Lights went. And that was that Pete Berg, you know, he sat us all in that room and he sort of laid out the rules of the game. 
And the rules of the game, I forget the exact words that were used, but for lack of a better thing, you know, Kitsch used to say, you know, it's like combat or it's like, you know, we're going into a battle, you know, in the sense that Pete set it up, we're all going into a battle, but with each other. There are no teams. We're all on the same team to beat the other team. And that other team, I think, was, you know, anything that you described that wasn't friendship, collaboration, this and that. I mean, he even had us going against the directors. You know, yeah. he was like, you know, if you guys don't like something, fight for it. Don't sit back, fight for what you want. Use your voice. And I think it was Jesse at one time at some event, he said, what Pete Berg allowed us to do is have ownership of the program. We all had this ownership that we felt. And that wasn't just actors. I think that was every department felt that way. And I mean, how many times, I don't know about you, but many times I'd walk over to the lighting guy or, you know, I'd walk over to this guy or that guy and say, hey, what do you think about this scene? And I can't tell you how many times someone had a great idea or it's like, well, I don't think you'd be doing that. Here's why. Because remember, blah, oh, yeah, you're right. Thanks, man. Yeah. See you, later. you know, it was a whole deal. We were really able to play and it was a safe, 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 fun environment. Yeah. And other shows, you know. I just don't know. I mean, I don't know what to say about it. We we shot it in Austin. We were sort of isolated. Other shows had the attention. We had nothing. You know, King George was way over there, so the studios were leaving us alone. We were just out camping. Yeah, and I have it, a, just great. There was a story I remember. Taylor Kish and I were walking back from Crafty one day, and he goes, eh, "Don't screw up this scene. People actually watch this show." And there was <laughs> there was this sense sometimes that it was like we were just doing a little play in our backyard. As you said, King George wasn't there. There was no one there looking over our shoulder. We were kind of flying under the radar. And it felt like we were just doing this little thing among friends. Well, let me interrupt you right there. In that room, he said, I want you guys to learn your dialogue 100%, to know your characters 110%, and then be ready to throw it all out. Yeah. I think in somewhere in there, he said, and have respect for the dialogue, or at least that was implied. And I think we all did that, too. I don't think we ever disrespected what was on the page, but we fought for what we wanted to do with it, and it just became something special. It was so intimate. I, I would never knew where the cameras were, and the person could be standing right next to me. We used to Ever, say there were I've snipers. Said, you I've know, said before, yeah. there was one time I couldn't find, I couldn't see where one camera was, and I was like, where's Heather? And Heather very slowly opened my bedroom door and peeked her head out, and I was like, <laughs> that is so creepy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're all fighting for spaces. Going off to that question for you, Kyle, do you remember any moment where you did kind of defy somebody said, hey, I want you to do this, and you're like, I'm just not going to do that. Oh, that yeah. was literally my next question, yeah. Oh, uh, yes, I remember. Yeah, no, 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 perfect, perfect. <laughs> I got one actor fired from the show. I didn't realize it until later that I think he was going to go on or something. I, I Like, go to the next show or what? Yeah. And it was that one season. We had this one director who was, he was kind of old school, sort of by the books and by the numbers, and come on, let's go. And it's the scene where the, you remember the kid who stabbed someone, I think, and he came into jail. and Bobby Reyes, he beat up a kid in the first season. Yeah, like well, beat him he, up bad. I went to jail to see him, and I said, "Did you do this?" And I said, "Look me in the eye and tell me you did this or not." Did you? He goes, "I didn't do it." I said, "Look me deep in the eye. You didn't do this." He goes, "I did not." I said, "Well, I'll stand up for you." Then. Well, it turned out he lied to me. So he mm -hmm. comes into my office one day. I think it's the first shot of the day. He comes in and he says, uh, "Coach, I want to get back on the team." And that's just when it dawned on me. It's like I can't say it. I can't say, well, will you go over to Tammy Taylor's office and talk to her and we'll see what we can work out. I could not. And I just said, son, you lied to me. You're not getting back on this team. Oh. 
and cut, 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 cut. And he came out and he said, now listen, here's the dialogue. I said, I don't care. I can't say that. I yeah. literally can't. There's no way Coach Taylor would do that. He lied you to me it. straight in my face. Yeah. So you got to say it. Well, we'll call LA. Well, first shot in the morning. No one's up in LA. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I sort of screwed the guy over because, you know, he wasn't on the show after that. I felt horrible. But there's no way I could have done that. It just didn't make sense. Also, there were some guest directors who came in that just, like, didn't get how we played and how we shot and continuity and stuff. And it just felt so, like wrong that they were there and we're like sorry like sorry man that's a rarity that you would have the power as an actor to not only make that decision but to have that conversation even with a writing crew and a writing staff and that that writing staff would actually listen and respect your opinion you know it's like having boots on the ground it's you're seeing things firsthand up front and they're respecting that so that's really cool that they did that oh hey another thing that you just reminded me of though is all that stuff we just talked about Connie and I talked about this. I think we all did at one point saying, we can't forget this. We got to take this with us to our next job. Yes. This, this passion. And I've always done that. I'm sure Connie has too, but you fight for that stuff because it's good stuff to fight for. Yes. It's one of the things that I think separates a show like Friday Night Lights from most of the stuff that's out there. Is it just feels so organic because Stacy and I have had to go back through and rewatch the show. You're sitting here watching it and there are some things that are a little dated but then by and large, you're sitting here going, holy cow, man, this holds up today. And not only does it hold up, it still feels new. It still feels organic because there's still a lot of shows that aren't shooting like this, that aren't organic by their very nature. And that leads me to my next question. Do you guys have a favorite memory from the show? Something that just stands out to you? Well, that's a tough one because there were so many great moments. I honestly don't at the moment, but going back to those stories, I remember we had an director, maybe the same one he's talking about, he wanted a close-up, I think, of you, and you wanted to kind of stand back behind everybody, and you kind of want to be behind, I won't come out and get his close-up, you know, and so the guy, I was kind of in the middle of, you know, what you felt was right for your character and what he had to do, because he either wanted it, because he was so used to getting something like that, or it was on the page or whatever, but it was a really interesting moment, because he just screamed out, and I think he mumbled something like, you guys are a cult, you know, he was like, something really like he just couldn't grasp this, that he was going to get that shot. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that that's got to fly in the face of some of these directors who are just so used to having a shot list. And it's like, I've got to get this shot. It's really fascinating to me because I worked with Jeffrey Reiner recently and I forgot how quick he moves. I mean, we just shot like three angles on this scene. He's like, all right, cool. We're moving on. And one of the other actors is like, he didn't get any coverage from me. And I'm like, it's probably because he doesn't plan on using any coverage. Yeah, but also there's coverage you don't even know is happening. Yeah, there's that too. But it's also the fact that like he's already editing this in his head. And he knows that he doesn't need this shot because he's going to be focused on this other thing, which can be somewhat disconcerting to an actor. But it's also by that same rationale, you're knowing where you're going to be in the editing room while you're shooting to a certain degree. Because like, he's not getting a wide, he's not getting a close up. That means you're not getting your close up and that's fine that's his way of storytelling where do you guys think coach and tammy are now what do you think happened to them after the show i mean they ended up in philly yeah you think he's still coaching in philly yeah i could see him going to a uh you know really down and out place that needs some help you know they, like complete complete underdogs whether it's a friend at church or so, someone draws him in and yeah. he sees what's going on he just has to step in maybe he's pulled in slowly but you know, again, once he starts meeting the kids and getting attached to them, he's in, you know? Yeah. Dirk yeah. Field, no one's got the shoes, blah, 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 the whole thing. Yeah. 
some form of East Dillon meets Philly. Yeah, I can see that. Well, also, Tammy was getting her career going, too, at that point, right? She was up in the college system. Yeah. She was drinking an awful lot, though, Todd. (laughs) So much wine. Are are we saying Tammy maybe didn't make it? Coaches alone? Oh, God, I I don't know. It's fine. We can make it dark. (laughs) We only had one kid, Gracie, right? No, you, you, had, had, well, you had Julie. You had Julie. Right. There was Julie and Gracie, but I forgot because there were, three, there were triplets. Yes. Right? yes. One triplet at a time. And they looked yes. nothing alike. Do you remember that one triplet didn't really didn't like you and you tried so hard to get that one to get like on your side? I don't remember any of them liking me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the parents would come by, drop them off, and they disappear. Right. Oh, really? They're asking because we had twins, and they're asking for mommy and daddy, and I'm like, I don't know. Uh, I've never felt worse in my life than having to be on set because Stacy and I's characters had a kid at the end, and so that last season, like, I'd have to have these scenes where I'm screaming. And the baby's in the corner. Like, I'm holding the baby in an argument with somebody. And this kid's bawling his eyes out. And I'm like, I am doing true emotional damage to this child <laughs> the rest of its life. So... Stacy had a question that she wanted to ask you guys about directing. Both you guys, do you want to ask this one, Stace? Yeah, you both directed us in episodes of Friday Night Lights. And I'm wondering if, like, did you enjoy it? Is it something you want to do again, keep doing, or have you? TV especially. I haven't done it since. I, I know I was blessed to be able to do it. And that's such a safe atmosphere. I knew half of what I was doing. And the other half, I only knew half of that. I just remember you scared the crap out of me when we were shooting. We were shooting this scene. And I was driving a truck and Kyle's in the van a couple feet ahead of us in the sound van. And we shot it two or three times. And Kyle goes, this just isn't working for me. We're going to have to pull over and and figure this out. And I'm like, oh God, like what the hell's going on? And so we pull over, Kyle's gone. And I'm like, what the hell's going on, dude? And finally I meet up with Kyle and I'm like, what, 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 what's, what's up? What's not working with the scene? He goes, oh, we already got it. We're moving on. And I'm sitting here, like, I was stressing the hell out, thinking that we were screwed here. Yeah, I thought I was getting fired. Well, I, I, I think it's really strange where you put a director's hat on a schmuck and all of a sudden everyone respects him. <laughs> I got to tell you, that night before I did that, you know, you get nervous when you're going to direct something. I was nervous. Yeah. And that was the night. It was around 4th of July because yes. it was after the 4th of July, but people still had fireworks. Kitch had rented a house that weekend, and we had had this huge blowout party for like three days straight. Todd had come by with Heather because we went out on Todd and Heather's boat. Oh, that's right. Yeah. There was also a scene Derek and I had in bed where I lost it and I was sobbing because I was going to have twins. And Kyle, you just sat down on the bed with us and told us how real it was and that this was something that like parents go through and that the scene was something that meant something to you too and like i never thought you were gonna fire me i thought you were an amazing director <laughs> i would have never fired you uh, <laughs> in, a, in a surprise twist i believe i have this footage oh really oh yeah there it is in the car from the car that's great we're driving you <laughs> that's pulled, awesome you pulled that up in two seconds well i knew that's i had awesome. it somewhere because i saw it when i was going through my but yeah, it's about that scene with you and we were playing it like we're going to have an explosion, car chase. Remember that, that whole thing? It's a funny bit. <laughs> I think that's the one you're talking about. Yeah, probably. Fun stuff. Hey, where so are this you is... guys on your, your shows then? Are you? This is the last one. 
This is oh, the is? very last one. You guys are the creme de la creme, the finale. Call that the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. <laughs> no, here's the deal. First of all, we were congratulations at the end. Guys. Thank you so much. But Thanks. also, Derek and I, we get anxiety asking people for favors, like asking both of you when we did to come on. We never ever have to ask anybody for a favor ever again, and it feels so good. Yes. That aspect of things is great, but it's been a great experience for Stacy and I both to just kind of go back through this. Stacy had never watched Friday Night Lights from beginning to end. Oh, so yeah. for Stacy, she's getting that experience for the first time. But for me, this show meant so much to me, and it's been so fun to reconnect with all of you guys. And then to get to ask those questions that I always kind of wanted to ask, but was maybe like a little too embarrassed to ask. You know, I want to yeah, like, know how Kyle got into this business. I want to know how Todd got into this business. Right, like, that's fascinating to me. On set and ask Jesse Plemons his audition story. Like that's not something yeah. you do on set. But you know, I don't watch stuff that I'm in, so I'd never watched Friday Night Lights. And I actually, I haven't told Derek or Miranda this, but I applied and I'm going to graduate school to get my master's in education with a specialty in school counseling. And I think I want to be a school counselor. And I have to say that some of that was Connie on Friday Night Lights. Like what she did and who she is to those students is something that I kind of want to do now. Wow, that's great. Congratulations on that. That's a nice vocation, yeah. The strike hit something in me where I was like, oh, I should probably get something else under my belt. <laughs> this will probably be our last question here, but I did want to talk to you guys about your real-life relationship because you're married in real life. you got a, a lovely wife, Catherine. You have two beautiful children. How did that prep you for your relationship on TV, which a lot of people argue is one of the best representations best marriage of marriage on television? How did that prep you for it? Did you and Connie have any kind of special thing? You guys drove cross country together the first season to kind of get yeah, to know each other, right? Times. Kitch was with us one time. Okay. He made the trip one time. You know, when Connie and I first met the very first day on a street in Austin, uh -huh. we walked up to each other, said hello, and we went over right before we went to Kenichi Sushi. And I don't think it took more than like, really seriously, and Connie might say this too, it didn't take more than like a minute mm -hmm. before it's like, Oh, hell, this can work. Yeah. I always said it was because Connie and I are both clowns. I like making fun of myself and being the fool. And I think she does a little bit too. And I knew immediately that no matter how far, and I've said this before on things, but no matter how far I fell, I knew she'd catch me before I hit the ground. Mm. And the same was for the other side. So it allowed us to play to extremes, knowing that the other person wasn't going to smash the ball, you know, yeah, score yeah, the yeah. point. It was always just to, you know, just to hurt them enough and then, then build them back. That was really cool to be able to have that with her. What was the other part of the question? Just how being married and having kids oh, yeah, you yeah, for yeah. this. And so then, yeah, being married 20 plus years at the time. I mean, come on. You can't get that education. I can watch TV and know when someone has or hasn't a kid or yeah. has or hasn't a real spouse in real life. Catherine, I'd come home some nights and. I would create or finish arguments on the show that we were having. And look at me and go, you got to be kidding me. Um, you know, that's just the way it was. And, and you know, our show was so great because in downtime, if the other actors, if there's a silent moment, you know, you could do stuff like just out of nowhere, go, where the hell are my keys? Where are the keys? Yes. And that's starting off the scene out of nowhere. And it was just great. You know, the whole thing yeah. was great. Bonnie was great. Kitch was fantastic. I miss Kitch so much. And yeah. Jesse Clemens, look at him. And I you mean. guys. And just everyone on that show was just so talented. And so, I don't know, just so involved. And let's say the crew. Yeah. And then you got the writers. You got the producers. Jason Kadams, who let us drive down a gravel road instead of paving it for us. We got yeah. to pave it. And he was open to it. And 
it was just magical. It was just, you know, everyone had their own lane. They stayed in their lane and we all had a blast. We all trusted and respected each other. Yeah. And, and skills and all that stuff. It was great. You know, when that director came in and he had anything that was like stayed or, you know, crusty or stoic, you know, we would just be like, oh, we're going to chew this guy up. We're <laughs> gone. Uh, you know? That's one of the things that's been really, really fun just doing this podcast is going back through there and, and kind of being forced to remember these moments and watch an episode and go, oh, I remember that night or I remember how cold it was or, you know, the state championship game, for instance. I remember how sick you were yeah, and just Kyle the first yeah. season when you had strep throat. I think it was strep throat. Yeah. Yeah. I still can't drink boss water because of that. Oh, really? No. They wow. were going to say like gin or something. No, it's water. <laughs> oh, that was good well, stuff. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. I know Stacy really appreciates it. And more importantly, I know it's that the fans of our show cold. appreciate it. This is just the perfect way to end. I miss both of your faces. I'm so happy to see you. This just makes my heart really happy right now. Thank, thank you, guys. you guys. Hey, one quick question for you guys. Yes. Us directing you guys. Should we look for another vocation or are we okay with it? <laughs> no, nah, man, I loved it. In a heartbeat, I will work with both of you in any capacity you ever want. I will be your PA. Call. I loved it, man. I loved having you guys. Specifically, just the fact that you knew our shows so well and knew it so backwards and forwards. And Todd, you actually know how to talk to actors, and that's a rarity in and of itself. I sit there on set sometimes, and even though I've been in this business for 20 years, I'll hear the camera operator start talking to the DP, and they're talking about about lenses and I'm sitting there with, uh, uh. I have no clue what any of that stuff means so the fact that you're able to communicate in a language that I'm unable to communicate with you in is something that I've always found fascinating about this business and definitely something I should probably learn something about at some point in time you think I need to know anything about lenses Kyle <laughs> forget it you don't need to know yeah i don't know what any of that stuff we're is. dumb <laughs> well cheers yeah. you guys cheers yeah. to you guys hey thank you both for coming on the show it really was great hey happy new year's to you and happy new year's to all your listeners thanks buddy that's it that's our finale we're done i'm gonna do something right now though i am gonna ask our producer miranda to turn her camera on so that we can see her face <laughs> because guys i need a shout out she usually turns her screen off and it's just me staring at Derek's face. But now we have her here and I just, I, it's a million thank yous and I love you. And this podcast wouldn't be anything without you. You're the best producer in the entire world. I just, I can't thank you enough. Guys, I just want you to know we could not do this show without Miranda. She edits every episode. She schedules every guest. She keeps us on our toes. Yes. Talks to agents and managers and publicists and works around the clock with our ever-changing schedules and the ever-changing schedules of everyone that's involved in this show. She's truly the lifeblood of this show. So a big shout out to her and all the work she does to make Stacy and I look like we actually kind of know what we're doing. So thank you, Miranda, for everything on thank this show. Thank you so much. Thank you both. People listening, if you can believe it, we've been doing this almost three years and Stacy and Derek <laughs> and I didn't know each other very well before this, but it's truly been an honor to get to know both of you and to get to connect with the fans who love this show so much. The emails we get have been amazing. There are so many that we don't include in fan questions because a lot of them don't actually include questions they just want to tell <laughs> Stacy and Derek how much they love this and so I'll turn that thank you around and also give a shout out to Steve Walters without whom this wouldn't have happened yes, yes. absolutely 100% and you're stuck with us now by the way sorry <laughs> forever I'm fine with that I'll adopt both of you sign the papers <laughs> 
Okay, guys, this is usually the part where I would say join us next time, but this is officially the end of the road here. So I just wanted to take a minute and say thank you so much to everyone who's tuned into our podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for sending in all your audience questions, and thank you for supporting Friday Night Lights all these years. Neither this podcast or the actual TV show would have survived without you guys. The past three years of making this podcast have been so special to both Stacy and I. We have truly loved... <clears throat> You're making me cry. Truly loved getting to take this journey with all of you. This TV show means so much to the two of us and so much to so many of our listeners. It was a blessing getting to reconnect with so many of our castmates and our crew. And we will forever be grateful for this opportunity to take this beautiful stroll down memory lane with all of you. And I think there's just only one way for us to end this, and that would be... Clear eyes. For Can't Clear Eyes Full Arts is a podcast presentation of Black Bear Media and Ritual Productions. Executive producers are Stacey Rostano and Derek Phillips, Chris and Mindy Wimmer for Black Bear Media, and Steve Walters for Ritual Productions. Our producer is Miranda Parham. Send your questions to clearizefullheartspod at gmail.com. And follow us on social media. I'm on Instagram at Stacey Rostano. And I'm also on Instagram at underscore Derek Phillips. Check us out on YouTube and blackbearmedia.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.